Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Allison Winter, a member of the lymphoma and bone marrow transplant groups here at Cleveland Clinic. She is here today to talk to us about stem cell transplants for patients with primary CNS lymphoma. So welcome, Allison. Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about your role here at Cleveland Clinic. Thanks for having me, Dr. Shepard. So my role here at Cleveland Clinic is primarily in the lymphoma group, but since we do several transplants for our lymphoma patients, I'm also a member of the bone marrow transplant group, which includes CAR T-cell immunotherapy, which is a pretty hot topic as well in lymphoma. Okay. Well, great. So maybe to start off, we have a, a diverse group that may be listening in. Tell us what is central nervous system or CNS lymphoma? Yeah. So when you're talking about CNS lymphoma, there's two things that you want to separate. So there's primary central nervous system lymphoma, which means it's lymphoma that's exclusive to the brain, spinal cord, leptomeninges, and eyes, and has no systemic involvement. Sometimes though, when you're talking about CNS lymphoma, it can be either synchronous with systemic lymphoma or people who have systemic lymphoma can relapse into the central nervous system. When we think about treatments, there's a designation based on where the tumor is located. What's the impact on treatment choices? So there's actually a pretty big impact on treatment choices. Primary central nervous system lymphoma is really a separate entity. And so how you approach that is going to be different than if you approach someone with systemic and synchronous CNS lymphoma, because you're going to want to focus on treatment for both areas. So if it's primary central nervous system lymphoma, you're worried about drugs that get into the central nervous system lymphoma, but you don't have to worry about lymphoma in the liver or lymph nodes or other locations. Whereas if it's synchronous CNS lymphoma, you need a regimen that's going to address both the central nervous system as well as the systemic disease. So how did you get interested in stem cell transplants for CNS lymphoma? Well, as a Training to be a lymphoma doctor, I had been in multiple clinics with autologous stem cell transplants because we use that a lot for our systemic lymphoma patients. Here at Cleveland Clinic, a lot of this primary central nervous system lymphoma is treated in the neuro-oncology group. So I was in clinic with Dr. Calatio, who is obviously a well-known transplanter, and we had a consult for an autologous transplant in a patient with primary CNS lymphoma. And that's when I started asking questions about, you know, how often do we do this? Is there data for this? Are other centers doing this? And started um, learning more about, about this process and this opportunity. And so where are we? So it's, you're, you're putting together a CNS lymphoma transplant program. But tell me a little bit about that, where you are and what the goals are. So there's increasing evidence to support the use of consolidative autologous stem cell transplant for patients with primary CNS lymphoma. And so I think what I'm trying to do is create a multidisciplinary approach with our lymphoma doctors, neuro-oncologists, and transplant program to offer this this treatment modality to patients where it makes sense. And then that includes 
looking at various components of transplant. So when we think about autologous stem cell transplant, the most important component is the high dose chemotherapy, which comes before the infusion of the autologous stem cells. So in systemic lymphoma, the standard most in most places of the country is a regimen called BEAM. Um, but the CNS penetration of BEAM is probably not good enough if we're talking about primary central nervous system lymphoma. So one of the things that we have talked about as a group is which preparative regimen or high-dose chemo regimen we want to use for these patients. And that's a very important point. So not just collaboration, but also uh, nuances of what drugs we're choosing when we're doing the transplant. And are these uh, being tested in a, in a trial setting or are you to the point where you're setting up research protocols? There's no one trial that has said this preparative regimen is better than the rest. We can look at what's been published, but there's no comparison. There's no randomized comparison. Um, so that's one of the limitations in this field is that we don't have a lot of big randomized studies. Most of the things that have been published to date are retrospective or phase two studies. Now, one of the big ones that we're looking to have results for that we're all anxiously awaiting is a CALGB study, which is actually randomizing patients to transplant, consolidative autotransplant versus consolidative chemotherapy in primary central nervous system lymphoma. So I think one of the big pushes in this in primary central nervous system lymphoma is to get people into trials so we can answer these questions in a more systematic approach. I'm going to guess that trial's been around a while if it's a CLGB trial. Yeah, it's been around a while, but we are still still awaiting results. But like I said, there's growing evidence um, from non-randomized trials supporting the use of consolidative autotransplant. But there's a lot of other exciting research going on. So since I was first and foremost a lymphoma doctor and in the transplant program, I obviously have a lot of interest in CAR T-cell. But patients with primary central nervous system lymphoma or even secondary CNS lymphoma were originally excluded from the CAR T-cell trials. There's been some case reports and retrospective studies now looking at CAR T-cell for people who have relapsed secondary central nervous system lymphoma. And there are now um, clinical trials looking at CAR T-cell and primary central nervous system lymphoma. So I think that's, that's some of the exciting stuff that's ahead of us. Was the limitation in the trials with CAR T cells initially, was it concern about neurotoxicity or was it about penetration? Neurotoxicity was one of the major concerns. You know, there was a New England Journal of Medicine publication looking at one of the CAR T cell products, Kimraya, in patients with secondary CNS lymphoma, and they did not see increased rates of neurotoxicity. I mean, take that for what it's worth. It's a case series of a handful of patients, but we're now approaching more systematic trials. Like for instance, AxiCell is now in clinical trial for primary central nervous system lymphoma. And AxiCell was the first product that was approved for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma systemically. And I guess uh, as we've been talking about this, maybe for perspective, um, how many patients are we talking about? So primary CNS lymphoma, how, how, how many patients a year roughly? Sounds like probably a handful. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a rare component of diffuse large B. It's usually diffuse large B cell lymphoma when we're talking about primary central nervous system lymphoma, um, but it's definitely uh, much rarer than diffuse large B cell lymphoma as a whole. I don't know how many patients we see a year. That's a good question. 
But just in general, as, as, as an entity, it sounds like that might be a barrier to some of the trials being finished is, is how many patients there are to put in the trials. Yeah, that's definitely a barrier. Now, you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, these, at least here at Cleveland Clinic, were oftentimes seen by the neuro-onc folks. Is that, is that kind of a trend around the country that the primary lymphoma doctors aren't the ones seeing them? Or is this kind of a barrier to maybe making this work? So it's it's institutional dependent. Uh, at some places, the lymphoma docs are the ones taking care of primary CNS lymphoma. Here at Cleveland Clinic, neuro-oncology has taken care of a lot of these patients. But I think it makes sense to get lymphoma docs involved, especially when we're talking about future trials with drugs that we're very familiar with. So CAR T-cells, I'm very familiar with. And then there's this new regimen called TEDDY-R, which is incorporating abrutinib which is a novel therapy that I use all the time in CLL and uh, mantle cell lymphoma, incorporating that into primary central nervous system lymphoma. So I think it makes sense to get the lymphoma docs involved. Uh, not that I want to like steal all the patients or anything, but I think um, collaboration makes sense too, because there are some nuances of having lymphoma in the central nervous system that I sometimes need help from the neuro-oncologists because it's, a, it's obviously different than what I'm used to. Uh, so I think collaboration makes sense. Is there a particular patient profile that seems to make most sense for this kind of therapy? So, um, you know, oftentimes we think about newer therapies. You're like, well, who's going to benefit most? Um, is this kind of all comers with primary CNS lymphoma? Or is this, can you sort out sort of who's the most likely to, to benefit? The most likely people to benefit are, are going to be the patients who have chemosensitive disease. So... Going into an auto transplant, we typically, in all realms of lymphoma, take people who have either a complete remission or a partial remission to induction therapy. And it's definitely going to be more beneficial for probably younger patients who can tolerate a stem cell transplant. I hesitate to use the word younger because age is a number and uh, performance status really goes a long way. So I transplant plenty of people with just good old fashioned systemic diffuse large B cell lymphoma in their seventies. Um, so really, I, I hate to say age, but a good performance status and being a transplant candidate is obviously very important, but I wouldn't necessarily discriminate on age alone. All right. How do we work on getting the word out? So are you working through educational programs, support groups? Um, this sounds like a, an interesting new therapy, but it's, you know, given the, small numbers. It's a matter of getting people here to get the therapy. So how do we spread the word? I think the first part is education. So I was a third year fellow, you know, ready to take a job as a lymphoma doc. And I didn't really know the data very well for consolidative transplant for primary central nervous system lymphoma. So I want to get the word out that this is an option for some patients. And I would love to have referrals and talk to patients about this. It's the same case with, say, mantle cell lymphoma, which is a rare lymphoma that we use consolidative autotransplant for. You know, if we don't get the referrals, we can't offer the patients that therapy. Are there support groups, uh, Facebook groups, something that, that sort of helps uh, in terms of patient education? 
That's a really good question. I know for my CLL patients, they often hear about all kinds of things, including even clinical trials in their Facebook groups. I don't know of any primary CNS lymphoma Facebook groups, but maybe we should start one. Well, yeah. My first goal this year has been to look at like which conditioning regimen should we choose? Who should we be in referral? Now that we're up and running, you're right. We need to get the word out. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple times here about conditioning regimens being something that needs sorted out. What uh, what other gaps do you see? What where where does the research need to 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 point to make this an optimal therapy? To make it an optimal therapy, you first have to get people in a good remission before you do the consolidative autotransplant. Some of the research coming out is looking at induction regimens, to be honest. So we used to use rituximab and methotrexate, but now it's really a polychemotherapy that we're using. Some of the common ones have been MPV, so methotrexate with procarbazine and vincristine. Not too long ago, results about the MATRIX trial, which is incorporating thiotepa into your polychemotherapy backbone have come out. And now even, as I mentioned previously, the TEDDY-R regimen. Um, so that the preliminary data for the TEDDY-R regimen is very interesting. And I think we're all awaiting anxiously the results of that. So that's one that's incorporating CNS penetrating drugs like temozolomide, traditional chemotherapy, cetoposide, doxyl, dexamethasone, but with this abrutinib novel therapy. So we're, we're anxiously awaiting those induction studies because you need to get people into remission before you can consol- consolidate them with a transplant. So as a solid tumor oncologist, I have not in t- you know, participated in, in any way, shape, or form with transplants for a while. Is there anything about the transplant itself, like the, the cells, the number of cells, or anything about that transplant itself that is unique because of the sort of the blood-brain barrier or the the, the need to get into a space that you don't ordinarily think about? There's nothing unique about the autologous stem cells. So when I talk to my patients, I explain that what we're really trying to do is give you high doses of chemo, high doses of chemo that can penetrate the blood-brain barrier and having high doses is helpful for that. And it would just be too toxic on your bone marrow. So the autologous stem cells, sometimes people call it an autologous stem cell rescue because you're rescuing your bone marrow from the toxicity of the high doses of chemo. So the important part is that conditioning preparative high dose chemo regimen that I keep talking about. The stem cells are to rescue from the toxicity. And that's, that's kind of how I explain it. Looking forward, where, where do you see this going? Different settings of patients or what, what do you think uh, is the future for this? So there's things that we can do better. Like I said, having induction regimens with better efficacy. We're also looking at chemo mobilization strategies. So when you come into a transplant, we obviously have to mobilize your stem cells so that we can collect them. In systemic lymphoma, if you're not in a complete remission, we often do chemo priming or chemo mobilization with a toposide here at Cleveland Clinic. It didn't really make sense for the CNS lymphoma patients, and there's been some data published about using cytarabine chemomobilization uh, at Dana-Farber. So looking at other strategies to just make it successful, induction, chemomobilization, the preparative regimen, maybe there's a maintenance strategy that we could consider in the future, but not just one component, but all of them. You know, certainly bone marrow transplants, lymphoma, you know, all cancer in general, but particularly transplants, need a lot of support. I mean, you need a lot of 
sort of team players on a on a multidisciplinary way. Is there anything that seems to be unique with these patients in terms of the support required? So I'm lucky to be part of the bone marrow transplant is a well-oiled machine, I would say. We have great nurses, social workers, schedulers, and they are really good about being a team and making sure they get people through the transplant process. So I've thrown them a few curveballs because a lot of our things are very protocolized. And when I, you know, was hired and started saying, well, let's do, you know, chemo mobilization with cytarabine and I, let's use thiotepa. We've never used thiotepa in our conditioning regimens. And there's some different protocols you have to use with thiotepa when you're giving it um, that are much different. Um, so I'm throwing some curveballs, but the team has been great. Everyone's made changes and we're just trying to improve it for future people. Any words of advice to people who might be listening and and thinking about setting up a program? Words of advice. Um, I would say collaboration is very important. You know, I don't hesitate to ask my colleagues in neuro-oncology for help. I don't hesitate to ask my department of transplant chair for help. Um, I think teamwork and collaboration are the most important part. Excellent. Well, uh, you've provided some great insight today and and some novel therapies that we're uh, developing. So any additional comments? I'm very interested in CNS lymphoma, not just primary central nervous system lymphoma, but when it's synchronous CNS lymphoma or relapse into the central nervous system, I think there's opportunities to improve outcomes from these patients. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.